Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. All right, let's go to the Word. Let's begin today. We're going to be looking at day four, five, and six of creation. So let's begin in verse 14. Allow me to read it aloud as you follow along in your text. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. This quote by Augustine of the third century resonates throughout the ages with all Because all have sought to answer this question that we are addressing in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. The question of provenance. Where did I come from? Why am I here? And in our longing, in our yearning and seeking, we find that God is the one who has created us. And he has created us for himself. He is the origin of of all of life. He is the source of all of life. And he has designed us for relationship with him. Well, today I want to go immediately to the text and to look at God's creating and how it includes his filling of his creation. 
In day four, we see that God continues his work of creation to bring further definition. What we've seen so far in in the creation account is how God has systematically moved with increasing focus within his creation to complete his creation. Whereas days one through three really dealt more with what I would call atmospheric creation. Days four, five, and six will deal more, or specifically day four, will deal specifically with the environmental. Creating a place that would sustain life and the habitation of that with which he will fill it. And so God speaks And by his speaking, he places light in the sky and he separates the day from night. Now, what you'll see here is that there's a language that is very parallel to the first day of creation. But what's taking place is that God has moved from the big picture to more intimately into Uh, the creation himself. And so this is not new light that he is creating, but rather the light he created in the beginning in his creation is now bringing greater separation and designation for life-sustaining purposes. That's what we will see. God's work in creation creates not only matter or stuff, but time and space. And then within that time and space, the very properties, or as we might say today, the laws that will rule and govern that matter within the space and time that he places it. God creates to govern by his purpose for which he designates the light. That's what we're told here, that there are signs and there are seasons, there are days and there are years. That word signs tells us that God, uh, uh, there is a way he uses the heavenly bodies to, to reveal a knowledge about himself, a revelation of who he is For the luminaries have always been a source of fascination for people. And and the more ancient, the more they use them for more important uh, needs of their life. The things that we pull our our phone out of our pocket today to to figure out if we can know precisely and perfectly, uh, which we know good and well before we ever look at it, we're not going to even know precisely and perfectly. But maybe we'll get close, right, to what the temperature is going to be, whether we're going to get wet. Imagine those people long ago who had to walk outside to figure out if they needed an umbrella or a jacket. My goodness. My goodness, how dependent we've become. They were dependent upon them for the directing of travel, for the anticipation of seasons, and a culture that was far more uh, agriculturally inclined and centered were dependent upon these signs that God had placed for them to know. People have used the luminaries for good godly purposes throughout the ages, but people have also used the good blessing of God as they use them today to try and make them as God and form idolatry out of them. Things like the horoscopes and astrology where we we try to play God by the reading of things. Throughout history, it is recorded the ways that people have tried to manipulate and interpret these meanings. These are the signs, though, that God is speaking of, not some kind of hokey pokey, you know, kind of sign, but rather 
the natural means by which God has ordered the world and how he speaks through that. The seasons, they change from one to another and all creation is governed by this and the migration patterns of animals are governed by this and how do they know yet but by the natural instinct with which God has created them. I was driving across CC from Ozark to Nixa this last week and the power lines along the highway are littered with birds covering every inch of power line. Why? Because they're coming in in droves or swarms, as we'll see in just a moment, as they migrate through in this area. He says the days and the years, and he establishes in this way what we come to know as a calendar or the passing forth to completion of the seconds and the minutes and the hours and the days and the weeks and the months and the Years. You see, God created light in all of its varying degrees to rule and to govern on the earth by its variance. Purpose for his creation. And God's designation of the lights in the heavenly and upon the earth establish the positioning of the earth so that it can be an ongoing source for the life of with which he will soon fill it with. You know, it's interesting, if the earth were not located exactly as it is, life could not be sustained up on it. Scientists tell us that the earth's overall orbit or distance from the sun would make a difference if it was located where, for instance, Mercury or Pluto were. One we would burn up, the other we would freeze to death instantaneously. And one scientist says it this way, it's like the three bears syndrome. One too hot, the other too cold, the third just right. That's the kind of science I understand when you deal it down to a fairy tale and you can explain it, Lane gets it. But all this does not explain why it is that our planet maintains its relatively warm, life-sustaining temperatures and climates that can, for the most part, sustain life. It also does not explain why life on earth doesn't just burn up, they say. For earth to maintain its average temperature of 61 degrees Fahrenheit, which this time of year is a little hard for me to imagine that average They say it requires a very delicate balance within the atmosphere, the oceans, and the solids of the earth. They go on to say that earth has a built-in, naturally occurring force field around it that creates and helps to maintain a viable living condition for its plants and its animal inhabitants. The atmosphere contains greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide to keep the earth warm and an ozone layer to protect the earth from harmful and incinerating radiation and praise be to God we're out of the 80s now so big hair and hairspray are gone the ozone layer is a little more in uh, out of danger for that I think what I've heard is we're all thankful for that ladies included maybe not okay I thought that would come over better the earth also has other checks and balances that help it absorb and retain the sun's heat and the sun's energy such as the oceans which absorb it and distribute it across the planet. And then those that reflect it back 
into space to protect the earth like the polar ice caps. For the wind and the ocean currents help to distribute the heat around the globe and all within the earth's protective atmosphere itself. You see, the point is that earth has this unique ability to create and to maintain sustainable living conditions. This is amazing, is it not? Because all its systems and its influences, they say, are connected to each other. It's as if they were created to work together in some way. From its atmosphere, to the oceans, to the land, it works in such a way to maintain a habitable space. You know what Christians call this? Day four. It's funny, this time of year, people at the football games, they're always talking about day four. <clears throat> okay. If, if y'all aren't going to respond, I'm not going to tell funny jokes. <laughs> That's what we call day four, friends. And all of this scientific discovery, I can tell you, day four. That's when it happened. That's what God is doing here, friends. He's, he's bringing intricate, detailed design to the space that we wake up and we don't ask where it came from. We just breathe it in every day. God designed it in such a way that we could do that and it would sustain life. Day four is describing the macro governing and the micro intricacies of time and all that occurs in its passing in the space in which is inhabited. God's designation in creation is the revelation of his good gifts to us. Let me apply it this way. Who's ready for fall? Right? I mean, this is the demonstration according to day four of creation of God's good gift to us. The author of Genesis is emphasizing the seasons that God in his vast creativity has given to us. He created the changing seasons as good and good for us. I spoke to a friend who lives in South Florida yesterday, and he's just saying, I got to get out of here. It's the same every day, sometimes a little more intense and sometimes a little less intense, but it's the same every day. Not in the Ozarks, it's not. It's not the same every minute, but let alone we do have seasons for the most part. It's God who loves the bonfires amidst the changing colors of fall. It is God who created and loves the snowy whiteouts and the brilliant white winter nights of snow-blanketed landscapes. It is God who loves the explosion of spring's color as life comes out of the death of winter. And it is God who loves the glistening of the sun and its glory off the lakes of the winter time or the summertime all together. Life, friends, is governed by the seasons that come and go and come around yet again. They are the same, yet all together new. And with each passing and coming of the season, God, God is present. He is speaking. He is governing the change. He is sovereign. He is ruling within as he rules 
over. God created the seasons by which the world and all that is in it would be governed for his glory. You see, the light he created, he's now come back to this purpose or this pattern, excuse me, that we saw initially, and he's purposing it. For verse 16 begins to tell us the deeper, the more insightful purpose of verses 14 and 15. And he says that God made varying degrees of light to rule the day and to rule the night, and he established their purpose within. We see this threefold function to rule, to divide, and to give light to the differing assignments of light that God has given and the purpose for which he has given them. And it's mentioned twice so as to underline their real function, not to just say, well, by happenstance or chance, they just happen to be this way. No, rather that God gives them to rule, to divide them, and to give light for them. He establishes their purpose. God looked on day four and pronounced that it was good. And it reminds us to ask, who's ready for fall? You know what season I enjoy the most? The one right in front of me. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I've lived in an area that has four seasons and sometimes this area doesn't know exactly when one's supposed to, because we had fall back in August, and then we went back into, so I get that, I mean, you, but bigger picture, let's not get torn down by the details here, okay? Stay with me. I, I love it because there is within me this need for change, this excitement about what is coming and what that season pronounces, and quite frankly, there's also within me a little bit of weariness from the season that feels like you've been trapped in forever. And there's an anticipation with that next season of what it brings. Day four of creation is unique in many ways. And the intent of the writer is, is to show that the whole world depends on the word of God, friends. Now don't miss this today, please. That, that everything that's taking, not just all that is that's here, but all that is in the way that here operates is dependent upon the word of God, because God created it in his creation when he spoke. The world owes not merely its existence to the word of God, but also its order and its purpose. For all God has accomplished, he has done by speaking. He originated, he ordered and patterned and brought through separation and definition we've seen, through assignment and boundary and the limitations that he has placed upon things. He gives value. He gives designation. He gives meaning. And today we're seeing with greater insight divine purpose that he has given for all. He's creating what he will fill in the next days. What God did in creation was not simply a matter of stuff or a matter of matter, but it was the creation of all things, space, and time, the establishment of system and structure for that matter, the establishment of function and of operation for all of creation. This day takes us back to an elementary song that reminds us he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. The whole wide world are in God's hands. 
God is the creator, declares that he is the origin, the source, and the sustainer who, as Hebrews tells us, upholds the universe by the word of his power. Friends, there's not a beat of your heart. There's not a breath that you will draw that fills your lungs that is not sustained by the word of our God. You may not think of him with every breath or every beat of your heart, but know this, your heart and your lungs do because of what he has said and how he has created us to know him. And now that God has created a world inhabitable, he fills it by his creation. Day 5, verse 20 through 23, God fills his creation with the glory of its inhabitants. The firmaments that are now stretched out that have created the skies and the seas and from the seas land has emerged for dry ground. God says this, let the waters swarm with swarms. Okay. Yes, that is intentionally duplicated because the writer is telling us it will not just be a swarm, it'll be a swarm of swarms, that the numbers will be too numerous to count in so many ways. And that's what he's doing. He's propagating, he's filling the earth. And, And honestly, these may be some of the easiest verses for us to see and to understand about creation because we can experience them on a daily basis, on a regular basis. We see them or can study them. Starlings, the birds, form what has become known as a murmuration Maybe you've seen them fly in their ornate patterns, sometimes hundreds, sometimes thousands, moving what seemingly is chaotically together and yet forming beautiful artistry as they paint the sky with their movements. It refers, this murmuration, to that phenomena when they are swooping in coordinated patterns through the sky. A number of years ago, scientists studied this And in their investigation, they found it remarkable in the ability of these birds to maintain cohesion as a group in a highly uncertain environment with limited noisy information. In other words, they're not chirping at each other. They're not like geese. If you've ever been around geese, they are the loudest mouthed birds you've ever been around. You can't even hear yourself think when they come in. They are a demonstration of God's creation, but they'll drive you nuts if they get too close and too great of number. Back to starlings, quietly, with almost no noise or audible information, they move as one. Now, scientists said this. They already knew that starlings pay attention to a fixed number of neighbors within the flock, regardless of the density, and that number is seven to be exact. Their new contribution in this new study, though, was to figure out that when uncertainty in the sensing is present, interacting with those six or seven neighbors optimizes the balance between group cohesiveness and individual effort or performance. I find this interesting, friends, and I'm going to make a direct application to us today. They analyzed the still shots from the videos of starlings in flight. And the flocks range from in the 400s to over 2,500. 
And then they used a highly mathematical approach and systems theory to reach their conclusion. That's what they say when they don't want to bother you with all the technical lingo, which I'm totally fine with. I wouldn't understand it anyway. Focusing on the bird's ability, they say, to manage uncertainty while also maintaining consensus. Ever been in a point in your life when you would like to maintain consensus in the midst of uncertainty? It says that they discovered the birds accomplished this with the least amount of effort when each bird simply attends, watches seven of its neighbors. I think this is a beautiful, beautiful finding. In following this role of seven, the birds become part of a dynamic system in which the parts combine to make a whole with emergent properties and a murmuration results. That's funny. I just see it and go, wow, that's cool looking. <laughs> but when you break it down like this, it it, it's so glorious in, in its intricacies and, and figuring out by observation how these things come to be. They tell us that fish also school. That's not something that was new to me. But fish schooling is not just because they hang out close. There's actually a purpose that when schooling fish become more and more dense with one another, it's actively a strategy of smaller fish to intimidate and scare off their predators because a predator sees the school as one. And so the closer that they stay to one another, the more powerful or potent their intimidation is against their predator. The swarms of swarms, friends, tell us something about God. I mean, both of these are immensely applicable for the Christian specifically because the glory of God's creation holds much for us to learn and apply regarding the value and the potency of Christian community just by simply observing and learning from the birds and learning from the fish that are swarms of swarms. Imagine when uncertainty arises in your life, if you had those people around you naturally built in that you were pursuing godliness with, that you could look to to get your bearings in life, to answer those questions, to calm those fears, to calm those concerns. That's exactly what science and creation is telling us here that the starlings do and when they do that not only is their individual performance identified for them but they are brought into a hole whereby the immensity of the glory of God is displayed at anyone who watches it that's a beautiful picture of the church right there friends right here in Genesis 1 day 5 day 5 then God speaks of his creation. Verse 22, he blesses them and he says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth, each according to its kind. You see, by God's design in the way that he created by his word, they are blessed to reproduce and fill the earth, each according to its kind, not one kind coming from another but each according to its own kind. Day 6, verse 24 and 25, begins by completing this portion of creation. 
And, and, and God creates living creatures to, to fill the ground. These verses continue the wonder of day five into the first portion of day six. And he fills his creation with those who would come forth from the ground. And he orders all things by the different kinds and each according to its kind as he has with all the other within creation that he has created. Wild beasts... And domesticated animals, and God pronounces it good. Let me tell you what's not good. When people treat the wild beast like it's a domesticated animal. I'm not going to lie to you, the more I watch Discovery Channel, the more I root for the wild beasts. If you're going to step out of that car in the midst of the wilderness where the lions live, you better make sure dinner has been had or you will be had as dinner. Right? And I root for the wild beasts. Why? Because God created them to be alone. They get up at night when we go down to bed. That's the way God created it. Let them have their place. Domesticated animals. Animals. That's, I think that's the lesson we need to learn today. Not people. Animals. People have not been created yet. Domesticated animals are created on a different day than people. Actually, not a different day. Sorry, that's a misspokenness. I was about to make a joke and it just got ruined. I'm on track. Day six, friends, the glory of God's creation is without end. The intricacies have no boundary of glory, but there's something greater from the days of creation that the author is trying to show us that we see in days four, five, and six. And, and here's what one scholar commenting on this said, while it is true that on most of the days God does make something, at least in the broad sense of the term, a more fundamental observation of the events of each day suggests that he did something much more significant. In other words, what I'm pressing upon us and pointing us toward is not the what of God's creation, but the how. That's what the commentator is telling us. What the writer wants most to show in this narrative is not that on each day God made something, but that on each day God said something. Said something. The predominant view of God in Genesis 1 is that He is a God who speaks. Listen, friends, from the very beginning, our God distinguishes Himself from all other gods in this way, by His word. He is the living God who speaks. And by his word, all that is comes. All that is, is maintained and held. And all that is comes to know him. His word is powerful. And as the psalmist who would have read this chapter of scripture declares in chapter 33, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. This is what Moses is wanting us to hear and to understand from Genesis 1. God said something. And so often we can become presumptuous about the scriptures because it's normal for us to read the Bible and to think that God has said something. But friends, this is distinguishing God above and, and, and incomparable to any other. And in the glory and the wonder of Genesis creation account in which we are caught up in, we should not miss this one overwhelming truth. God 
speaks. In my pastoral ministry experience, this is probably the one answer, not probably, this is the one answer that addresses 80%, maybe more, of the fears that people have about God. Has he spoken? Would he speak? We don't say it that way. But the questions we ask underneath their surface wonder if God, in this love that we would dare to say he has, would he speak to me? Friends, you are here because he spoke. Every cell of your being, every inkling of your intellect, every wanting of your soul. He hasn't only spoken you into existence, he is speaking to you as his creation. Don't miss this. The other night I walked out of the building, it was dark. And if you've ever been to the west side of our facility at night, it's very dark. Um, the stars were shining. And in an instant of the door shutting behind me and the darkness kind of enveloping me, I realized that is a magnificent sky full of stars just kind of twinkling. Friends, whether it's a moonlit night whether it's a gorgeous sunset or a beautiful sunrise, whether it's a cloud formation that is coming over or whether the skies are covered because of the clouds. Don't forget this. It's not just about what you see. It's about what can be heard. God speaks to us. And this is the very focus that I want to point our attention to. Today, listen, friends, God reveals himself as the one who originates, who shapes and sustains the life of all creation by his word. God, he reveals himself in creation, friends, as the one who originates, the one who shapes and sustains the life of all creation by his word. I, I want to point out four works today that commend to us why we should believe in God's word. Days four, five, and six tell us that God speaks. As a matter of fact, theologians have shown how the very thing they tell us more than anything else is that God speaks by repetition, by number, and by weight of importance in the text. From beginning, God speaks, and all that is comes into being. He speaks about creation. He speaks in creation. He speaks to creation. And the first work that we have seen in these verses is that by his word, God originates. We began this study by looking at the fact that God created, as the theologians have said, creatio ex nihilo, out of nothing. Now, we can entertain ourselves in nothing, we, nothingness. We do this quite often with that thing called the TV or the screens. 
But that's not the nothingness that Scripture speaks of. The nothingness that Scripture speaks of is incomprehensible to us. There was nothing, no space, no matter, no time. And yet out of that, God was. In the beginning, God created. God is the origin. He originates all that is space, matter, and time. And because of this, we begin to see a God who is unlike any other. And we can believe in him. We, yea, we should put our trust in him because of this. The second work that we have seen is that by his word, God shapes. And so out of nothing, he begins to create. And the, the scriptures tell us in verse 2 that it was formless and void was the face of the earth. So he originates. And then we see in its presence, it was formed formless and void without any kind of organization chaos was present there was no patterning or ordering but that's exactly what God did when he spoke into it and he began to order the light and the darkness and he began to set it in his place and pattern it and by doing he is the one that assigned his value he is the one that assigned his purpose and its meaning in this creation God's work in creation is not merely to add form and substance friends but he establishes the boundaries and the limitations by which in all things that live do live that's why a man can shake his arms and raise his voice at a bear and the bear who could easily have him for dinner will run off because there's a natural boundary built in now I wouldn't advise you go try that because sometimes boundaries get overrun but friends this is what we are saying here God has created these boundaries within which the world operates. The third work by which we see God perform and it commends to us to place our faith in him is that God sustains as we see today. The very way he created was that the creation would be dependent upon him as the creator. From beginning to end, God who brought all of these things into being and set them into motion holds it in his hands. And in his hands is its designed place for its designed purpose. This leads me yet to another song in which we are taught such deep theological truths about our God. This is my father's world. And how does the song begin? But it says, and to my listening ears, all nature sings and around me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and of trees, of skies and seas. His hands these wonders have wrought. This is my father's word world. The birds their carols raise, the morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. He shines in all that's fair, in the rustling grass I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. This is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, Found yourself in a place like that recently? This just isn't right. But it seems overwhelming. The song reminds us he is the ruler yet. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns 
Let the earth be glad. Friends, this is how creation should stop us in our tracks, confound us in our thinking, and stir our heart to unimaginable worship. Not of the creation, but of the one who has placed it here and placed us in it. Parents, this is free application for you. From the earliest of days, before you think they can hear you, know this. Use the words of God's creation to akin your child's ears to your voice, but to tune their heart to God in his creation. Teach them the wonder and those young's formidable minds that are yet uninhabited by all the troubles of this world can from the earliest days be in sheer wonder of God's majesty and creation. Friends, I tell you, when we subjugate creation to be the object of our worship instead of the means of our worship, we fail to what Romans 1 tells us, to worship the creation rather than the creator who alone is forever to be praised. And the more we do that with increasing measure, depth, and intensity, the darker our minds become, leading us ever more into the wickedness of living in this world. Creation was not placed here to be worshipped, but to point us to the one who is worthy. And that leads to the fourth work. By his word, God recreates. John picks up in the image of Genesis, and he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Verse 12, but to all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The Word took on flesh and made its dwelling among us. His name is Jesus Christ. And by the work of God, creating the work or the word of God. He recreates in us new life. The word of God awakens in us where death ruled. He gives new life when we are born again by the power of Jesus Christ, the living word in us. God worked by his word in creation. Friends, he is still working by his word. He is speaking today. He is speaking to you. Do you know Jesus? Do you know the life that only he gives? He is crying out to us from the first chapter of Genesis, inviting us to come into a relationship with God, the one who created you for the very purpose for which he created you. God reveals himself as the one who originates, shapes, and sustains the life of all creation by his word. Have you put your faith 
in the living word, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.